Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And do you want to see something really spooky? Ooh, spooky, very spooky. Well, you know what's coming to Richmond, Virginia? Nightmare Weekend. And you know what else is coming to Richmond, Virginia? It's me and Ashley Edward Miller. Yes, the legendary Ashley Edward Miller that you know and love from Inglorious Trexperts in the 4-3 movie, along with me, as we descend with a bunch of happy haunts on Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th, October 13th through the 15th, in Richmond, Virginia. And we're not coming alone because there's also gonna be such great horror icons as Danny Trejo, Tony Todd, and if you don't think we're gonna ask you about The Visitor, you're crazy, Richard Dreyfuss, Jeffrey Combs. You know, he did these horror movies too. It wasn't just Star Trek. <laughs> we're gonna have a very animated or reanimated conversation with him. The stars of American Werewolf in London, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. Boy, and if Jenny Agutter were there, I think we would probably pay to go ourselves. Um, Cheeto Brothers, Ken Foray, the stars of Fright Night, William Ragsdale and Chris Sarandon, Andrew Devoff. Now, I gotta tell you, I've been rewatching Lost. He's really good in that. There's gonna be an E.T. reunion with Henry Thomas, D. Wallace, Robert McNaughton, C. Thomas Howe, and more. And so many other guests, including Laura Birch, Vanessa Shaw, who will probably not be talking about working with Kubrick, although I'd like to talk to her about that. Tim Reed from WKRP in Cincinnati. No less Nesman, though. Samantha Mathis, and many, many more. So, come join Ashley Edward Miller, myself, and a bunch of great horror stars in Richmond, Virginia at Nightmare Weekend. We hope to see you there. Find out more at galaxycon.com. That's galaxycon.com. And we'll see you at Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th. And if you say it, you have to say it like this. Nightmare Weekend. Anyway, happy Halloween. <laughs> Okay, bye. Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. By your command, here's a sneak peek. He's great. You know, I actually like him better than Oscar Isaac. And, I mean, I think the Villeneuve is great. Version is great. Uh, it's it surprised me how similar it is to the David Lynch version because well, it's how people genuflect to it. It is a way, remake like, of the Lynch movie. Interesting, because it, it it leaves out the same scenes that the Lynch I movie know. does. I, I think that's a strong statement because I think look, the problem with Dune is that it is. I think it's very very difficult to adapt because of the way that it was written and because a lot of the concepts that drive the storytelling and the adaptation choices that you have to make, I think by nature of what they are, push you towards the uh, the choices that are made in the Lynch film 
and in the Denis Villeneuve film um, that you 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 kind of need to because otherwise it's very difficult I think to get your arms around what that story is going to be like to Herbert's credit but also um, just I mean if you kind of sit and just think about that that those books any one of the books as a writer and you just and you imagine somebody saying please adapt this it's just like where do you even start where do you start uh, just uh, even like Lynch couldn't crack, you know, the um, the the how do you, you know, do the telepathic communication? It plays look, and as much as I love that movie, like it plays a little goofy in the uh, in the Lynch movie. And it's because it's such a difficult thing to adapt. Well, maybe if if George Lucas had done it, there would be more of the political machinations. Uh, yes. <laughs> in the script. Maybe Jimmy Smith's. But I think that what's cool about the Lynch version is is that I know that this is mocked a lot, but that those, you know, sort of voiceover narrations where people were getting what they think are yeah. really close to the, the roving narration totally. in the novel. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where you're like, it, it's corny, I guess. It, it would be a one way to, to, to describe it or goofy or off-putting. But it's funny because, I mean, I know, Mark, that you're a big Bond fan. So subscribe today at TrexfirstPlus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the rockets. Mark A. Altman. Darren Docterman. Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. This is Mark A. Altman, and this is It Was 40 Years Ago Today, 1983 Week, and we're back. And we got back. Mr. Monday. Not for long, but. <laughs> well, don't, don't. Why do you have to depress them? Because I be, be excited. That, look, I'm, be excited. Tuesday you, ruins you, things. You're like a dark cloud. You're like that <laughs> thing, like a cloud following you around. Let me introduce everyone <laughs> Mr. Monday, Stephen Melching. Oh my God, gag me with a spoon. I'm so sure. On Tuesday, it's the cloud, Darren Docterman. <laughs> I'm not a cloud. I'm a human being. A human man. There's, I think there's something at the heart of that cloud. Uh-huh. Okay. And on Wednesday, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it now Superman 3. <laughs> It's you Mr. Kids. Wednesday, Ashley uh, Edward Miller. You, you darn kids with your Pac-Man and your Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> Dan Fogelberg. Oh, I hated that Dan Fogelberg. Hey. Oh, I hated that Dan oh, Fogelberg. You, did, you didn't hate. No, I, I, like I did. I hated that Don't easy hate list. Don't hate hate the game. And in this case, Pac-Man. Look, I, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I didn't even like the fever. In 83, I didn't even like bands I liked. I didn't like them. Like it, 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 I, the police, who I generally really liked. If I heard that every breath you take one more time, 
Oh my God, I was going to stop taking breaths. I was so so annoyed with that stupid song. So that's the secret. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, I mean, it's funny. Up. I feel kind of the same way. A lot of the music that was popular at the time, I did not like at the time, but I love it and listen to it all the time now. It's yeah, weird. That's the funny mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I just think 82 had everything such is great crap. music. 83 was the hangover. It's, it's a hangover, hangover for a lot of things, as yeah. I'm sure we'll get to shortly. Yeah. What were you listening to when you invaded Grenada, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I was probably listening to the soundtrack to Return of the Jedi, the single LP version, which is the only one they, they came out with, which sucked. Which was so shitty. Yeah. Not only did it have that awful key art of the hand holding the, the lightsaber, it was as bad as the Search for Spock uh, one sheet. And uh, and it, it was missing all the good music other than Into the Trap. And, and Lopty Neck, of course. Thank God. <laughs> Lopty Neck. But it does have Celebrate the Love before it was replaced. <laughs> and we're going to celebrate the love of 1983 soon. We are, but before we nice do that, segue. Steve, before we do that, so I understand you just got back from a trip to Colorado. Yeah, I was celebrating the love of cinema at the 50th annual Telluride Film Festival. Oh, uh, I think I've been to about, I, I lost track of how many I've been to now. I think about, I don't know, 13 or 14 of them. You're since catching up with me. I know. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, Telluride is just the most spectacularly beautiful mountain town you could ever want to visit. And um, it was a, a, you know, a great festival, albeit somewhat subdued uh, due to the ongoing uh, writers and actors strike. So there were uh, not very many actors uh, participating this year because and uh, we're meeting here in Mountain Town, <laughs> <laughs> and no actors can be found. I actually, I actually think Telluride with less actors is probably a good thing. They could focus on the directors and all the other artists that make film. Yeah, so you know, it, it, but you know, honestly, all the times I've been there, it's kind of cool to see you know Peter O'Toole riding a bicycle down Main yeah, Street, you yeah, know, yeah, or Mer yeah. Meryl Streep walking down the street, or or George Clooney in in the bar. I mean, that's that's neat. You mean but, Burbank? Uh, <laughs> but uh, there really have never been the draw for me. And you know, as far as the screenings go, sometimes I'll do a brief Q and A, or or maybe they'll be up there, you know, being celebrated. I did see uh, Peter Sellers. Uh, dining outdoors and resisted the urge to say, Peter, you are fashion. <laughs> Not that Peter Sellers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Not being there in Dr. Strange Love. Steve, Steve, Steve would have to be out in the woods holding a seance to see that Peter Sellers. <laughs> now, this is the, the opera director, the great director, Peter Sellers. Right. But that that's so funny that you say that because, of course, <laughs> that was a very famous, uh, for us, when, when I used to go to Telluride, um, he was tribute. Tri he was uh, uh, he was uh, hosting the tribute to Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was hysterical. Oh uh, my god! Otherwise known as Fridays at Rob Burnett's house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 1983 had a great uh, Catherine Deneuve movie. We'll get to that. Um, but uh, but Steve, so tell us. Uh, obviously, you saw. We're kidding around, but you saw a lot of great movies. Telluride has really become the launching pad for so much Oscar winning films and, and and so many just great classic movies. Um, wh what did you see that you, you uh, really enjoyed? Maybe what didn't make the cut? Yeah, well, this year was, it felt more like uh, the, I say the earlier days of Telluride, meaning the, you know, when I started going in the late 90s and early 2000s, which was, I guess, really the midpoint of the festival. Uh, there, there weren't many of the obvious 
Oscar contenders that the festival has become famous for in recent yeah. years. Um, but there were still a lot of great movies. I, I ended up being able to see 16 uh, this time. Uh, they added a day because it was the 50th, uh, the 50th like anniversary. Like they did for the 25th. Yeah, I think the 25th uh, and the 30th and the 40th. And then uh, two years ago for the first, uh, the one right after uh, the pandemic lockdown, they added a day so they could kind of spread out the screenings and have fewer people in the theaters. It's one ah. longer. Yeah. Um, so uh, of the movies I saw, uh, my two favorite narrative films were was one called Perfect Days, which was directed by the legendary Wim Wenders, the German director who did uh, Alice in the Cities in Paris, Texas, and and one of my favorites, uh, Wings of Desire. And uh, this is a, a difficult movie to describe. It's it's about a middle aged uh, Japanese man in Tokyo whose job is to clean the public toilets of the city. And these aren't like your what you think of as a public toilet. These were built uh, by. Uh, the Japanese, I believe, for the Olympics, and they were each designed by master architects. So they're these really weird and beautifully designed public toilets that are immaculately clean because the Japanese are uh, just such a clean culture. Um, and the the movie followed this guy as he went through his routine, and uh, and then complications ensue. But it was a surprisingly, you know, subtly beautiful. Um, and 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 ultimately emotional movie. It was really good. I wouldn't be surprised to see that as the best foreign language film contender. Uh, and my other favorite narrative film was one... I'd like to see Blofeld invent those toilets. <laughs> I see like a You Only Live Twice kind of, kind of thing. I think that would be really cool. A corner of the market will really, you know, Spectre, we're going to have Who does number toilets. two work for? <laughs> if you don't flush, a trap door opens up and you go down into the... <laughs> That's right. I want to introduce you to my piranha There's freaking fish. sharks at the bottom. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, freaking you, lasers on their heads. You only go twice, 007. <laughs> Uh, my, my other favorite aren't the only thing that are forever. Oh God! Uh, my other favorite narrative film was one called "The Zone of Interest," uh, which mm, was directed by Jonathan Jonathan Glazer, who did "Sexy Beast" yeah. uh, and "Under the Skin." And this is a movie that was about the commandant of the Auschwitz concentration camp and his family, but it's all told from the sort of the domestic side of the wall. Yeah, so it's the, the camp, uh, Brady Bunch meets Schindler's List. Oh God. Yeah. So it's uh, the, literally the wall of the concentration camp is, is the, the wall of their garden. And it's this looming presence through the whole movie. So you'll hear, you know, in the background soundtrack and sounds of dogs barking or distant gunshots, but it's, it's this very sort of chilly examination of how uh, this, this guy's family uh, sort of ignores you know, what's, what's happening. Going on, but yeah. they don't really the horror. deal with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. it's a really powerful, uh, really powerful is, movie. Is unbelievable of the uh, of the everyday German at that time. Yeah, and just beautifully filmed. It's just it's just gorgeous. Um, I also well, like Glazer is such an underrated, not underrated, yeah. such an interesting filmmaker. Every ten years, he comes like. He did um, uh, a sexy beast, which is just yeah. terrific, and then he disappears, and yeah. then he comes back with uh, that crazy sci-fi Scarlett Johansson movie, Under the Skin, yeah. which is crazy. I mean, I don't know if I like. I think I liked it. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really an amazing movie, and um, and now and this, which I'm I'm so interested in seeing. I hear such good things. I'm glad that you you 
gave it the proverbial melching thumbs up because <laughs> I, I really want to. I really want to see it. It's such a fascinating subject. Uh, it, but has a, benefit, it has the benefit of not having public toilets in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very much true. And then you were saying, Steve, something uh, and, else and, and a quick rundown of the other narrative films. I saw Saltburn, which is from Emerald Fennel, who did uh, Promising Young Woman. It's a not the sequel to Salt. You know, <laughs> but it's a it's kind of a slow burn thriller in the style of Talented Mr. Ripley, starring Barry Cowan, who was so great in the Banshees of Inishirin. And um, the Joker in the deleted footage from the Batman. Oh, yes, of course. And it also had uh, also had Rosamund Pike, you know, from uh, the Bond. Die Another Day. Die Another Day. Die Another Day. She was the best part of Die Another Day. And of course, Gone Girl. Yes, That's she's great. I, I like Rosamund Pike. And and Richard E. Grant was in it, and he's funny as always. From The Last um, Jedi. Yes. Or was it, or was it no, Return <laughs> Rise of Skywalker he was in. What was his He was in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his character name. Oh, well. Um, then I saw uh, The Bike Riders, which is this movie uh, mm. about the uh, formation of the uh, early motorcycle gangs in the Detroit area, starring a cast of great cinema and television dirtbags, including uh, Tom Hardy, Austin Butler, Michael Shannon, Norman Reedus, and, and yeah. uh, Boyd Holbrook. Norman uh, Reedus, what a shock, <laughs> playing a biker. I don't believe but, it. But, uh, but uh, you know, a good movie. It really talks about this, the schism between, like, the, as they put it in the movie, the beer drinkers and the weed smokers. As, mm. uh, as the years progress, the guys come home from Vietnam, and they're the fucked up weed smokers, and they're much more violent and turn it into criminal criminal organization. By the way, I got to say that Norman Reedus, what a nice guy. Back in really? the day when I was doing Geek Magazine, we did a photo shoot, a cover shoot with him. I think it was for Walking Dead, probably. And it wasn't for his cooking show or his, bicycle, <laughs> his motorcycle riding show. And uh, he he just, what a lovely guy. Just so down oh. to earth. Really cool guy. That's great. So, uh, and I also saw The Promised Land, which is a movie from Denmark starring Mads Mikkelsen uh, that feels like, I call it a cross between Kubrick and Leone. It's sort of this period wow. mm. Danish Western that's, uh, that's, Ooh, it's really that sounds good. sounds interesting. Um, Dale Leone? Yeah, Dale Leone. <laughs> Kubrick you know meets Leone. Is that like basically extreme close-ups of people's eyes, but the shots last for like 10 minutes? Is that yeah. how that works? <laughs> You know, from now on, let's not say Mads Mikkelsen's in a movie. Let's just assume he's in it. And if he's not in it, we'll call it out. And say, Mads Mikkelsen is not in this movie. <laughs> no Mads. No Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen movie. Say that three times fast. Uh, then I, I saw uh, All of Us Strangers, uh, which is this kind of meditative, uh, self-reflective, almost almost supernatural drama about a gay mm. screenwriter. Um, it stars uh, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, who won the Oscar uh, for um, uh, a movie last year. Why am I blanking on it? It was really good. Um, He's the one that has the worm in the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> exactly. Uh, also, Claire Foy and, and Jamie Bell was in it. Uh, then I saw El Conde, which actually is on Netflix now. It premiered on Netflix uh, last uh, last Friday. Uh, it's this crazy vampire comedy that imagines Augusto Pinochet was actually a French vampire named Pinoche who uh, sort of came of age during the French resistance. And to give you an idea of what kind of movie this is, uh, one of the opening scenes is during the uh, the um, 
the revolution in France with uh, Marie Antoinette's beheading. And that later that night, he goes to the guillotine and licks her blood off the blade. Nice. But they uh, said it, the revolution would not be televised, but clearly it is because it's on Netflix. It was filmed. <laughs> but it's, uh, it was directed by it was uh, Pablo Lorraine, who did Jackie... Uh, Spencer and Lisi's story uh, has this uh, gorgeous black and white cinematography by Edward Lockman, who did True Ooh, Stories and yeah. the, the Limey, Aaron Brockovich, yeah. Virgin Suicide. So really interesting, weird, funny movie that you can watch on Netflix now. Uh, another weird movie I saw was called Tuesday about a, a it, I, it's kind of a dark fairy tale about a terminally ill teenage girl whose mother, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is in, in denial about her situation. It's, I thought I, it was about uh, Michael Corleone's uh, uh, bride-to-be, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. <laughs> and we want to know more about her. It's the prequel to Wednesday. Yeah, it's the Adams Family's uh, older Before she met sister. you know Michael Corleone, her life in <laughs> Corleone. But then on the and then my least favorite was one called Janet Planet, uh, which was uh, written uh, the filmmaking. Wasn't that a Schoolhouse Rock? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Interplanet Janet uh, is the the uh, filmmaking debut of a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright Annie Baker, and I just I, I I just really did not care for it at all. Mm. I think it's one of the weakest movies I've ever seen at a Telluride. Uh, wow. Then on the and as usual, they had a great slate of documentaries. Uh, my Always. two favorite documentaries were one called uh, Beyond Utopia, which was about a South Korean pastor's pastor's efforts to uh, smuggle people out of North Korea. Ooh, and that's cool. They got cameras to the North Koreans to film their escape, and you know if they were caught with this stuff, they would be killed or sent to concentration camps. Yeah, it was oh it's really harrowing. Uh, but a really powerful documentary. And then an, another great one called The Mission, which was about that kid who made the news a few years ago, who was this missionary from the U.S. who went to uh, the North Sentinel Islands in the Indian Ocean to bring the word of Jesus to a, an uncontacted, possibly cannibalistic tribe mm. and uh, and was killed by them. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great movie that was told from the perspective of uh, they had his diary, which he mm. had kept right up until he rode ashore and right. the diary got back to his parents. So they, they did dramatic, you know, they, they read from the diary, uh, but they also interviewed his friends and girlfriend and, and uh, another missionary who went to the Amazonian jungle for 30 years. And at the end of it decided that he was doing more harm than good and became an atheist. Mm. Uh, and the last uh, entry in the diary says, mm, something smells good. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I was just thinking it would be, it would have been a much better final season than lost. Like I would have liked to have seen that. And then, uh, to wrap up, I saw occupied city, which is the four and a half hour long uh, documentary by Steve McQueen. Who did oh, I still want to see that. I still want to see that. And that is uh, that is uh, images of present day Amsterdam with historical accounts uh, read in voiceover of all the sort of terrible and heroic acts that occurred in those locations during the Nazi occupation. Yeah, that was our original idea for our documentary before we decided to make it about Star Trek locations. Originally, uh -huh. it was going to be about uh, the oh, Nazi atrocities, and we just realized that we wouldn't raise enough on Kickstarter, so we decided <laughs> to go with Star Trek locations. And nothing <laughs> happened inside the zone. Inside no, no, I really, I'm very, I'm very, so Steve, it was good. But I did read people say, oh, it's too long. But I don't see how something like that can be too long. 
I thought it was powerful. It's just the, and it's done in a very matter of fact way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's just kind of in your face and it's, it's, it's kind of an endurance test. I'd say probably at least a third of the audience left at the intermission. Yeah. But it, it, it has a quiet power to it. They thought it was the other Steve McQueen. Yeah. (laughs) Where's the fast cars? What's going on? Uh, so that was good. I saw Thank You Very Much, which is a documentary about Andy Kaufman, um, made with the uh, with Bob Zamuda and Lynn Margulies and Lauren Michaels and Danny DeVito by the by the Safdie is brothers. Is Alan Spencer in it? He should be. He in it. is not, and uh, I I I think that was a that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, but but I think uh, you know. Bob Zamuda and Lynn Margulies want to sort of control the narrative. I think about yeah. Andy and and don't and want to be the keepers of his memory to mm. some extent. I don't That's think they want people. That's too bad because uh, Alan was so close with him and has such great stories. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, The Pigeon Tunnel, which is a new Errol Morris documentary about John le Carre. Um, oh, really? Which is, uh, which is really interesting. It, it was a, 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 a deep dive interview with le Carre filmed in the couple years before his death. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's really, uh, I thought it was really interesting. What was, it, what, did he do a Q&A? Uh, not that I saw. He was there, and I believe he did one at a different screening. And then, right. and then my probably my favorite event at the whole festival was the silent film. And I know Mark and I have gone to yeah. the silence where they they will show they will show a restored silent film with a live musical accompaniment. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year it was a Soviet film from 1929 called My Grandmother that was a bit kind of about um, the bureaucracy of you know, the, uh, the capitalist system, but it could very easily be applied to the communist system because mm-hmm. it's all this ridiculous bureaucracy, but it, it's really funny, uses a lot of really great inventive, uh, film techniques that were being pioneered at the time. Was uh, the, uh, was the word babushka used at all? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steve, it's funny. Um, I was thinking when you said silent films, and I remember the first year you went, I said, you know, the one thing you have to make sure is, you know, uh, go to go to the silent films. This is the secret, the secret weapon at Telluride. And uh, but it, it just, it just, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. But that year that Peter Bogdanovich was the festival director, and he he showed the crowd, the Last mm. Command, mm-hmm. and I forget what the third movie was. But it was just this unbelievable trilogy of silent films that was so so remarkable. I've never seen a bad silent movie. And tell you right, it's it's, like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to see these things in, in a yeah. sense because they have the this year the, the the orchestra was called the cleaning women which is these this cleaning, this cleaning woman, woman. Cleaning oh, that, woman. Was, that was eighty two uh, dead men don't uh, <laughs> this this trio of of Finnish uh, men but they they created their instruments from like found objects and whatnot so it was this had this really great acoustic electronica score that was really powerful and mm. a lot of fun and I, I still think probably my favorite silent film experience was uh, when you and and uh, and Kay and Aaron saw we saw the uh, Nosferatu yeah, yeah. at the the late night movie on literally yeah, yeah. on a dark and stormy night it was so yeah, much on the, in the up in the mountains at the Chuck Jones yeah, exactly yeah. and that was when we came down on the gondola at two in the morning and it didn't stop <laughs> it almost and crashed into the it almost crashed like in Moonraker <laughs> and we we leaped from the car as it spiraled around and made its way back up the mountain that was crazy uh, that was and it stopped a couple of times because it was a dark and windswept evening and it stopped like at the top like as high, oh. at the highest height on the mountain and it was like oh this is not good the rain yeah. is spattering against it and it's kind of blowing yeah. around there's lightning in the distance you're like oh this isn't good 
Oh, I have so many fond <laughs> memories of Telluride. I can't wait to one day go back. Obviously, I met my wife there. I have so much to be grateful for. Many, many years that I went. And I'm so glad to see you carrying on the tradition, Steve. Uh, it, 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 you sound like wonderful movies. And it was a wonderful time. Did you watch anything outside? Uh, no. Um, oh, gosh. What did they show? No, no. Didn't watch anything okay. outside this okay. year. Well, I'm glad you had a, had a great time. And now um, I think Darren was right. They're getting such a great show, but they're going to be disappointed because we're not going to be back next week. We're not going to be back till later this year when we return. This is like a special bonus episode. It's a bonus episode. It's not, <laughs> so uh, you know, bonuses. not the season premiere. The bonus, the bonus situation. <laughs> the <laughs> season <laughs> premiere is coming Hiatus. later this year. Hiatus interrupt us. I tell you, if you're a fan of, of the four of us, John, about movies and TV and stuff, you can now subscribe to the 430 movie. This gives you every free episode of 430 movie, but it also gets you our bonus show, Deck 78, where we deal with a lot of different cool movies and TV stuff. We have special guests, interviews. It's a delightful show. You can subscribe to Apple Podcasts. We encourage you to do so. It's only $4.99 a month. That money goes towards our sound mixing and our hosting and all that fun stuff that uh, keeps us on the air. And uh, also, um, we're hoping, if all goes well, to make video uh, versions of these um, podcasts available with the new season. Not that anyone wants to look at us, but you know, you might. <laughs> I don't know. Some of them might. And they might have heard that I'm on the podcast. They right, That's right. They might have heard. <laughs> they, they, his reputation precedes himself. And, uh, and then, of course... Um, you can do that uh, by going uh, to Apple Podcasts and subscribing to 430 Movie. Also, we're going to be adding the Trexpert's 430 Movie screening room where occasionally, um, and again, this still needs to happen, uh, we're hoping to set up a <laughs> Discord channel whereby we can screen movies with you every once a month and have a chance to watch movies with us as we discuss them. Um, so uh, we're still working on that, but hopefully if we see enough interest among our listeners, that's something that we will try and expedite as well. So we hope you'll consider subscribing for 99 a month uh, to uh, the 430 movie. If you're already subscribed to Trexperts in Glorious Trexperts, you don't need to subscribe to the 430 movie unless you just rather hear it on Apple Podcasts rather than Spotify. Um, but, and they'll uh, hand over the money without even thinking about it. <laughs> but you're getting the same, the same great, uh, same great content, same great content. And Deck Seventy Eight is a really terrific show. We've been doing it now for a while. Uh, Steve recently joined us as uh, the fourth light on that, uh, <laughs> uh, on that. And uh, we've had some great topics. We continue to have some great topics as we continue. It's really a chance for us to do a deeper dive into a lot of the stuff that we love. So, okay, this week. We're going back in time, the way back machine. We're going to 1983. Why? Because it's the 40th anniversary of uh, the films of 1983. Nobody's making a documentary about it because it really wasn't that great a year. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about it. And one thing we're not going to talk about because we already talked about it at length is Octopussy versus Never Say Never Again. The Battle of the Bonds from 1983. Uh, if you're interested, it was a recent episode of Deck 78. You can check that out if you become a 430 movie subscriber. It's a great episode. Um, but I doubt that we'll we'll touch much on the Octopussy versus Never Say Never Again uh, when there's so many other wonderful films to talk about. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this podcast, the way it works is we curate a fantasy theme week of, uh, of, of great movies or 
and sometimes not so great movies. Thanks to Ashley. And uh, we start with on Monday with Steve Melching, who will get us started with his pick <laughs> for Monday. And this is 1983 week. So, Steve, tell us about 1983. Baker away, toys. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was looking at the, you know, the list of films that came out in 1983 and one thought immediately leapt to mind. This is Wednesday, the year. <laughs> this is a year of Wednesday movies. It's so a year it's, of Wednesday. It's, it's a so year of, anyway, Ashley Miller's going to have so My many. favorite year. There's so many great movies to choose from. Remember so. the glaze. <laughs> so my pick for Monday is one that uh, it's never been picked on the show before, but I know we've discussed it um, at least once or twice. And that is a film from, that came out in uh, February of that year, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. It's the king of comedy. And what I'm thinking is I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance. You know what I mean? You don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pupkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert Pupkin, P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro. Jerry Lewis. In a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. Mm. Bravo, one of my excellent choice. One of my favorites of that year, uh, written by Paul D. Zimmerman, uh, who I did not know his background. He was actually a film critic for Newsweek, and he was a writer on Sesame Street of all things mm. before he went on to uh, to write the the King of Comedy as a spec script uh, that De Niro uh, bought uh, for himself. He wanted to make it. Uh, and he originally uh, took it to Martin Scorsese. Scorsese did not want to do it. Uh, so he had it set up with Michael Cimino to direct for a time until Cimino left to do Heaven's Gate. Uh, and then briefly, uh, Bob Fosse apparently was interested in directing it. Ah. And, and Fosse wanted to cast uh, as, uh, as Rupert Pupkin, Andy Kaufman. Oh my gosh! And as uh, and as uh, Jerry Langford, Sammy Davis Jr. Wow! I'm that wrapping your head, baby. <laughs> that sounds wild. Like Andy Kaufman and Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, of course, if you haven't seen the film, it stars Robert De Niro as Rupert Pupkin and Jerry Lewis as Jerry Langford. Uh, they were also circling initially. Uh, Scorsese wanted Johnny Carson to essentially play himself as the talk show host. Uh, Carson. Uh, declined, saying he only does one take uh, and, and was not interested in doing a movie. Plus, uh, plus I, I don't want to give anyone any ideas. <laughs> yeah, that too. I think he actually was nervous about that. Uh, yes, he was. They, he, uh, Scorsese was also uh, looking at Frank Sinatra, uh, Orson Welles, uh, Dick Cavett, and Joey Bishop uh, to play oh. that part before uh, Jerry Lewis did it. 
Uh, it was uh, uh, edited by the great Thelma Schoenmacher, who edited so many of Scorsese's movies. Uh, the music uh, soundtrack was produced by Robbie Robertson, who just passed away last month. Uh, and, uh, of course, he was a guitarist for Bob Dylan and was in the band and uh, had a legendary career. Uh, and um, Also a great composer. Yeah, yeah it's just, I, I just love this movie. It's got, it's such a, you know, it also stars uh, Sandra Bernhard uh, as another obsessed fan, uh, like the De Niro character, and uh, and Fred de Cordova, which I love the casting. <laughs> Johnny Carson's producer plays yeah. Jerry Lewis's producer yeah, uh, in yeah. the movie. It's it's a great black comedy. It's a really dark comedy about uh, fandom and uh, this this not entirely untalented stand-up comedian who desperately wants thinks that he should be a star. Uh, and, and wants to be the king, the king of comedy. He wants to go on the th and thinks that appearing on uh, Jerry Lewis's talk show will propel him to superstardom. And uh, it, you know, I don't want to give away some of the great jokes if you haven't seen the film, but I can't recommend it highly enough. It's it's one of those movies that uh, it, it had a fairly high budget for the time. It cost about nineteen million dollars to make, and it was just a bomb when it came out. It. it made only about two and a half million. Um, but it, it's one of those that has really, I think, stood the test of time. Um, because well, you know who else loves this movie? Todd Phillips. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's been very influential, I think, over the years with, with, with filmmakers. Uh, it's and follow writers. through on that thought. Of course, Todd Phillips uh, directed uh, Joker from a couple years ago uh, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, it's uh, there are a lot of parallels and a lot of, uh, like... Completely duplicated scenes. I was gonna say, yeah. it's a homage. It's an homage, <laughs> and more. <laughs> but it's uh, not an accident that De Niro was cast in that film. Uh, one of the reasons why I think that that King of Comedy has stood the test of time is because it was prophetic. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, like I, I, I don't know that I agree that it's about being a fan. I don't think it's about that. I think it is about um, the uh, the 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 person who sits in the audience and projects himself onto the screen and wants the fame. It is about yeah. the influencer culture. It's about, you know, somebody <laughs> who wants to be a TikTok star. It's, it's, it's about that. Right. Um, and that has become because our ability to, to covet other people's lives and the things that other people do and the fame that they, they achieve for it has become so pronounced in our society. It's like, you know, it's it's like uh, what was that thing from uh, from time after time? You know, where uh, David Warner's talking to uh, talking to Malcolm McDowell, and he's like, you know, back in you know the back home, you know, I was a freak. Here, I'm an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in like 1983, De Niro is a freak. In 2023, he's an amateur. That's such a great point. It's like if you ask people now, you want to be a lawyer, a doctor. You know, when you when you grow up, an architect. A, you know, uh, uh, a guy who installs toilets, <laughs> uh, cleans toilets in Japan. You know, but but the answer is in, more likely than not an influencer. People want to grow up to be an influencer. They think they, they should all be the star of their own movie, the star of their own life. They, they want to be famous for being themselves to some extent, just giving their opinions and much like we are right now. That's right. But that's different that's because we're, no. we're, 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 we're bringing a level of expertise uh, oh, no, uh, I love the ending of this movie without giving it away. It's it's got a great blending of fantasy and reality at the end, where it's it's almost Gilliam esque in the way that uh, you know you could argue 
you could interpret the ending in different ways. Is it fantasy? Is it really happening? Is he dead? <laughs> it kind of, kind, of, kind of like Taxi Driver. There's always that debate about the ending of Taxi Drivers. Yeah. You know, did what we see actually happen at the end, or was that his dying fantasy? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great pick. Well, that's a really right. fantastic pick. And I, I got to tell you, it's interesting because on IMDb, it says 1982, which is wrong. Wrong, and yeah. people said, oh, why didn't you have it in 1982? I said, because it came out in 1983. <laughs> so um, anyway, great pick to start us off, which of course brings us to Tuesday and yeah. Terrence Ogerman. We do need another hero. We need a bunch of heroes. We need heroes like we had in the late 50s and early 60s. And among them are those men, in this case, who had what they call the right stuff. On October 14th, 1947, Captain Charles Yeager shattered the sound barrier, propelled man into the future. And the search began for a new breed of men, men who were fearless. You've heard about our project. Sounds dangerous. It's very dangerous. Count me in. I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my wall. Ambitious. Who's the best pilot you ever saw? You're looking at it, baby. Patriotic beyond question. I just thank God I live in a country where the best and the finest in a man can be brought out. It's my pleasure to introduce to you America's Mercury Seven men who would risk their lives in a hurtling piece of machinery to cross the threshold of space. It takes a special kind of man to volunteer for a suicide mission, especially when it's on TV. You know, the government spends just all kinds of time and money teaching you pilots how to be fearless. They don't spend a damn penny teaching you how to be the fearless wife of a test pilot. They were idolized by the public. Hi, which one are you? Shepard. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Well, which one's Glenn? He's the one I want to meet. Heralded by the media. Uh, gentlemen, can you tell us if any of you go to church regularly? As far as church goes, I attend regularly. But behind the image, they were human beings. Human beings with real fears. If anybody goes up in the damn thing, is going to be spam in a can. Frustrations. What happened? He blew the hatch! I did not do anything wrong! The hatch just blew! It was a glitch! It was a, a technical malfunction! Conflicts. You're going to think of the broader interests of this program. You are way out of line here! I'm out of line! Yes, sir! I'm running this show here! We'll see about that! Disappointments. Aren't we going to the White House, Gus? Nah. No ticker tape parade in New York? And no Jackie? Pressures. There's another hold from NASA, another delay. What can be going through a man's mind at this moment? Gordo, I have to urinate. No. Tell him he cannot. Uh, say, listen, old buddy. Uh, they promise we'll stop at the next gas station. They request that you remain in a holding pattern till then. This is the story of the special few at the very top. 
the elite brotherhood whose achievements inspired a nation and captured the imagination of the world. These are the men who had the right stuff. They all want to see Buck Rogers, and that's us. Yes, we've uh, we've mentioned this movie on the podcast before, but uh, 1983 was a very specific year for bringing this stuff out because uh, at that point, one of the men, John Glenn, was actually running for uh, office uh, again, and uh, there was a big uh, a big kerfuffle uh, of whether he uh, you know whether he should be allowed to uh, because this film was uh, such a a uh, a soaring recommendation for him and uh, his cohorts um but uh, it is truly a an amazing uh film that did not do very well when it came out uh the uh the wonderful philip kaufman uh uh who directed it and co-written by him and tom wolf uh who wrote the book um and uh uh it's uh, it's truly a uh, what's the word? It's a pantheon of heroes mm. uh, that are long gone and we will never see again. They're like, um, this is of course the uh, astronauts who were selected for the Mercury program uh, of the then uh, uh, freshly minted NASA. Uh, and they were the first free men to go into orbit and uh, and circle the earth um it's uh, truly a an amazing story about uh these men who are absolutely just human beings uh but it shows the process of making them into heroes and the actual things that they did which uh, uh make it reasonable that they should be um the great thing about it is one of the framing devices in the film is showing uh, the contrast between the old guard uh, played by Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager, the man who first broke the sound barrier uh, in Glamorous Glennis, the X-1, um, and uh, and this new group of hotshot pilots that they mostly got out of uh, uh, the Air Force and uh, some from the Navy. Um, and, uh, you know, it, they had John Glenn, Gus Grissom, uh, Alan Shepard, Gordon Cooper, uh, Deke Slayton, Wally Shira, um, and Scott Carpenter. And, uh, of course, uh, Mark's recent favorite, uh, uh, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, <laughs> played by, uh, the, uh, the great, uh, Donald Moffat from, uh, fresh from, uh, Logan's Run TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's such a grand scope of a tale of, uh, the creation of myths. And uh, the creation of uh, our hold on the space race, and um, it's truly wonderful to show the very human people putting this together. And uh, uh, it's a wonderful story, and it makes you feel good that uh, we once we once did this. And, well, and, and not and only that, it's funny. It's absolutely funny. It's it's uh, it's it's real life. They have these you know these feet of clay. Uh, people who are 
you know, just borderline goofballs who uh, are doing these amazing things because they don't really have any other choice of what they're going to do. You know, you, I don't forget the other hero. Yeah, of that there's anything borderline about it. They just are goofballs. Yeah. The the other hero of that movie is Bill Conti, the composer. Yeah. The dun 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 well, dun dun dun. dun. And, and, so great. And Tchaikovsky and uh, the other people that he uh, grabbed from. Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> then you would say the same thing about James Horner. <laughs> yeah, but but Arnold didn't do this one. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I love the score. I, I listen to it often, and uh, it really uh, it really adds the flavor to this. Uh, and so does the amazing scene that I is my favorite scene from this uh, when uh, the fan dancer is dancing to Claire de Lune. Oh yes, and we yeah, still Conti didn't write that either. Didn't write that, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Jaeger is. Uh, crashing in a, uh, a big, expensive uh, uh, fighter jet uh, that they could find, by the way, uh, <laughs> as opposed to uh, today, who can't find a missing fighter jet. Um, but uh, it's it's the same it's the same sequence as we see at the end of Return of the King, where the hobbits are all sitting around the uh, table at the uh, uh, at the uh, is it the Dragon. Green, green dragon, green, green dragon, and everything is going Mel's up. Dire. And <laughs> they they are just quiet, sitting there, and they give each other a little look because they know what they've gone through. But this scene with all the astronauts sort of hunching forward and looking at each other, and they know what they've been through, and it's a, a magical scene, and it it brings a tear to my eye every it's time. That, that beautifully, you know, chrome silver aircraft flying up into the stratosphere. And then, the, of course, the great button. Is that a man? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Damn when right. I saw this movie, it, when I was in college, I saw it, like, the first time I saw it was on a television screen, VHS, fan and scan, 4-3. Mm -hmm. thought it was fine. <laughs> um, Ten years ago or so, uh, <laughs> I saw it in the in the Warner Brothers uh, theater, in the screening room. Nice. Mm -hmm. And it was revelatory. Yep. Uh, it is so big it has like so much scope it's so beautiful the flying scenes are just amazing like some of those you know just just being in orbit and like the stars going by it's just it's beautiful and i also have to say sam shepherd what the hell i mean <laughs> really say like you know god doesn't give with both hands no no god gave with both hands and then he found some other hands then he thought <laughs> oh, you know what? i need some more hands and he just <laughs> kept giving sam shepherd stuff it's like he's this great looking guy who's this great writer who's this great actor you know who is this deep thinker who's very smart and urbane and like what the hell? He's How married, married to Jessica Lange. Right. What's that about? <laughs> no, What's the cast, I mean, the cast of this movie is impeccable. I mean, it's yeah. just a murderous row of fantastic actors. Even in the little roles, you know, there are no small parts. But, I mean, Jeff Goldblum is in this movie. Yeah. And, and Harry Shearer is these uh, yeah. sort of NASA functionaries. They're, they're hilarious and yeah. great. I can't say enough good things about this movie. I love it. I love this movie. It had the right stuff, that's for sure. <laughs> and it that's was so not funny. a big success. It was another gamble from the Ladd Company. Yeah. That uh, did, but you know, look at all the stuff that Alan Ladd gambled on. That you know stands the test of time, even though it may not have been successful at the time. Blade Runner, Star, well, Star Wars, Blade Runner. You know the right stuff. I mean, so many movies that the Ladd Company made that 
didn't 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 underperform, but that we now look back at and say, you know, how brilliant they are. And and uh, once upon a time in America. Mm. Let's not forget that uh, William Goldman took the first pass at the at adapting the book, and uh, he worked on it for I think a couple of years uh, mm. before he uh, he met with uh, Phil Kaufman, who had this idea of contrasting the old crew with the new crew, mm. uh, and and Goldman didn't like that idea for some reason, so he stepped away. Mm. Well, nobody knows anything. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a great, a great pick for Tuesday, which of course brings us to Wednesday. And I, I have a, a thought about what Ash is going to pick. I'm writing Uh-oh. it down here. Um, mm. I, I'm hoping it's not your hunter from the future, but you don't know. You don't know. It could be. Um, <laughs> could be my. There's so many things it could be because Steve is is so right. 1983 is like what if the year was Wednesday. Um, yeah. I have my. I have, I've, I've, lo- I've locked in my guess as well. Okay, Everybody's great. locking their guesses. Darren, are you going to okay. lock in a guess? I'm not going to guess. <laughs> You're not going to play our reindeer games. Play this uh, so, okay. reindeer game of yours. There are um, in my in my my media room. There are six room. movie posters. Now there's the ones I did. No, there are four. They're four movie posters. All three others that occupy my wall. Uh, Two of them are Heavy Metal, Big Trouble in Little China, and the third is a film from 1983, also beautifully shot, also has an amazing score, also a slugger's row of incredible actors. Actors like Ian McKellen, Gabriel Byrne, Jurgen Prochnow, Scott Glenn, directed by Michael Mann with a score by Tangerine Dream, The Keep. The Keep, presented at selected theaters in 70mm and 6-track Dolby Stereo. The Keep brings together no less than 14 Academy Award nominees and winners for technical achievements and special effects. Michael Mann directs this startling vision of mankind's ultimate challenge, The Keep. Thank you. 
Keith from Paramount Pictures. <laughs> that was not so, my guess. That was not my guess. You know, can I tell you something, Ashley? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, Steve said it was Get Crazy. <laughs> uh, my pick, I'm going to tell you, was Videodrome. That, you know what? That's not a bad pick, by the way. Well, you know what's funny, Ashley? I was going to pick the Keith. Mm. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, Maybe that means you can pick the video. But, but look, <laughs> the, the road to the Keith is just a, a really Treacherous. interesting one because man's uh, first cut of this film uh, reportedly came in at over three hours. Paramount flipped out. They made him cut it down to two. And then they made him cut out a whole other half hour of the film, um, leaving it at, at 90 minutes and just sort of this strange um, fever dream of a horror movie uh, that, that still works. Um, I think that, to me, the standouts in that movie are, um, you know, Ian McKellen, who weirdly at the time looks exactly as old as he does now. It is yes. like the strangest, most effective and realistic old age transformation in the history of film because holy crap, do they nail it. Like I thought Ian McKellen is 80 years old for the past 40 years. <laughs> um, Jürgen Prochnow, always fantastic. And he- Except in House is, of the Dead. Except <laughs> 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 in House of the Dead, Mark has feelings. Um, and you know, and, and he's in kind of a- um, you know, uh, actually a role that he's sort of occupied before, but he's playing the good German. He's playing, you know, the Wehrmacht uh, soldier who is caught up in madness and and he is dealing with this SS a-hole played by the great uh, Gabriel Byrne, who is not Kaiser Suze. Um and uh, it, it it has this terrific setup where the uh, the Germans are occupying uh, this this village probably like in the Carpathian Mountains, and they take up residence inside of a keep that they quickly realize has been built inside out. <laughs> in other words, a keep that has been built to contain something uh, rather than to keep out an enemy. And uh, the interior walls are covered with these silver crosses and the Nazis being the Nazis. Well, they haven't ever seen like a, a bit of culture or art or silver belonging to another culture that they didn't want to take. And it turns out to be a massive, massive mistake uh, as they unleash what is uh, being kept inside of, uh, of the, uh, the, the titular structure. And what really becomes interesting about it is how that creature, uh, it, it's, it is used as a weapon of vengeance and it's and it's difficult to know at times, um, you know, is the is the creature using Ian McKellen, uh, or is it the other way around? Um, who's really in charge? Scott Glenn has this really gonzo crazy role um, as this hero, basically, who is called, who is summoned uh, as soon as the creature appears uh, to, uh, to do battle with it and, and send it back. Um, the Tangerine Dream Score is amazing. I listen to that, you know, on, on repeat all the time. It's some of my very favorite, uh, writing music. Um, it looks beautiful. The cinematographer also shot, uh, Excalibur. Um, it was, uh, Alex Thompson, 
Uh, Alex Thompson shot um, Excalibur. He shot Legend. He shot Alien 3, which is also a beautiful movie. Um, he which shot, is also uh, as messed up as this was by the studio. Yeah, weirdly enough, it's like there's that 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 little intersection there. Um, you know, I have been just sort of hoping against hope uh, to someday, you know, hear that they found all the footage that was cut, like sitting somewhere, you know, in the Paramount archives that, you know, that they're going to fix that film. I've, I've wanted to go and dive in myself, like just looking for an excuse to do it. Um, but it's just, it is such a joy. Um, and it wasn't really available uh, until about three years ago to see, like other than on VHS, and I had the VHS. Um, I, they released a DVD in 2020. I think you can see it now on Pluto TV. You might be able to uh, to rent it on uh, on Apple TV or uh, through iTunes. Or you can Amazon. rent it, you just can't keep it. Oh, God. (laughs) I I was able to find a Blu-ray of it in one of those outfits that does uh, sort of uh, less than above board things, but it looks great. Yeah, Yeah, you know, it's funny, Ashley. Um, The reason I say that I was going to pick it was I I was always fascinated by this movie and yet I never saw it till last year on the Criterion Channel. Wow. I'd always <laughs> wanted to see it. I'd read about it. I was absolutely just, you know, I knew the story about how, you know, I was a huge Michael Mann fan and how this got taken away from him and Phantom it was Man. vision. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of man. Exactly. And uh, you know, because I love crime story and I love Miami Vice and I love Thief and I love, you know, um, Manhunter particularly, particularly. So it was like, I was always fascinated by this and I finally saw it and it was, you know, one of these great what ifs, it, like, because what's there is so bizarre and so fast. It, it, in a way, it's very representative of 1983, where 1983 kind of had all these aspirations, but execution wise you know nothing really compares to the masterpieces of 82 it's like that like i said the hangover of it and the keep is just like obviously it's not a great movie but it might have been a great movie (laughs) we don't know and uh it's so it's so fascinating it's a great what if and uh there's so much of that in 83 never say never again is an example a terrible movie but so much of that got, you know, messed up because of the budget and they just had to finish it and, you know, scenes got, you know, totally tossed. And I mean, it just, you know, and, it, and it, there's just so many movies like this um, and uh, just bizarre movies. I mean, people forget it was the year of 3D. You know, you had Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Awful. Jaws 3D. Awful. I mean, all these... You Don't know, forget these, Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin. I mean, they were really trying desperately <laughs> to make 3D happen that year. Am- Amityville 3D, the man Amityville who wasn't 3D. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, just just terrible. But the, the Cape is so interesting because it's the work of a true artist. And yet, um, and there's so much artistry in there. And yet it's, you know, it's so flawed. Mm-hmm. But even I remember at the, I remember at the time it had this mystique about it and so I don't know I was in high school and and it had that kind of imposing key art uh with the, mm-hmm. the logo key art and yeah. it was it just it felt mysterious and that that creature was terrifying it was a really effective uh creature design and I, I remember seeing it on VHS back in the time and it, it just kind of became this it was on thing HBO of legend a lot too yeah. yeah super creepy yeah. It's a creepy movie. 
it's a capy movie. Yeah, it's a keeper. <laughs> it's a but, keeper. Um, but uh, really, you know, really interesting pick because um, you know it's a film that a lot of people haven't seen, and it's really worth seeing. And at the end, you're like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> but in the best of yeah. the best of all ways, yeah. I think in some ways it was my first experience with um, with cinema. And what I mean by that is that explains you know, a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a film that was just telling me the story through uh, through visuals and through sound and through the the music. That it was a probably the first movie that, and I was probably just the right age that it was it was something that I could process, um, but that I felt my way through as much as I thought my way through. It was kind of maybe my first visceral experience with a film. You know, I, um, I, I agree with that, that because it, it has this incredible mood and tone about it and this, this cinematic feel to it. And, and this is the same year that freaking Return of the Jedi came out, which is kind of the, you know, the opposite of that. And it really made you feel un, unnerved and unsettled. And it made, it made things seem big and scary. I don't know. It's so funny. It's a year where my memories of seeing these movies are more potent than the actual movies. So The Keep is interesting because it's a movie I didn't see back then. But, you know, when I look at it, obviously, for what we know, um, I certainly remember seeing The Hunger in 1983 <laughs> with my mother. <laughs> it's your mom week. Um, you know, I remember seeing Scarface because yeah. and I've told this story before. I, on a date, we couldn't get in to see uh, uh, Scarface, so we bought tickets for Yentl and then snuck into Scarface. So it's like <laughs> my my memories of '83 are so wrapped up in the experience of, of of seeing these movies because none of the movies really have that kind of resonance in the way the movies of '82 did as movies. These were more as experiences, like you know, even something like Psycho Two which is not a terrible movie by any means, but it's insane to try and do a sequel to Psycho. Um, you know, the thing I remember is that one sheet. that I had that in my room growing up. I love that one sheet of the Bates Motel and that fantastic logo that uh, D Darren used for one of our 430 movie uh, uh, alternate logos, which is just so great. The, the you know, the, the cracking, you know, font of, 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 <laughs> of it being sliced through. Um you know, and 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 has that great Jerry Goldsmith score. It's like, how do you follow up Bernard Herman? Well, Jerry Goldsmith did a really respectable job. I mean, that's a magnificent score. But like everything that I look at, it's like there are things about these movies I like. Ali Sheedy, I love in War Games, but I, you know, it's like so anyway. But so Thursday, that's Thursday. You. That's me. That's I you. know. I know. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm thinking must because choose. I have to say a lot of the movies in 83 that are any good we've picked before like Risky yeah. Business we've picked a couple of times now. Absolutely. Yeah. We picked for Cruise Andrew Control Andrew. we picked for high school movies I'm not going to go with Risky Business again because it's been on the it's been on the big board a few times right um, you know this episode is not in a season so we are under no such. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but I, you know, it's the same free. thing with Zelig. Go Didn't with I pick Zelig once, Steve? Yeah, uh, on uh, on mockumentaries week. You picked I picked Zelig for mockumentary week. Zelig also is probably the best movie of the year, in my opinion. But I'm not going to pick it. I mean, I'll pick something really odd. I'm going to pick something really weird, uh, which I think may surprise you, and you may say it's not eligible. 
Because again, Ashley picked the the keep, which was it was my pick. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pick, and and I'll, I'll let you guys determine if you'll allow it. Rear window, and the reason I'm picking rear window is it's the first time I saw it. Why was that? Because there were five Hitchcock films that had been out of circulation for over 20 years. Uh, that and 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 this was a big. The big re-release, it's Rear Window was the first one to be re-released, followed by Vertigo. Um, and I think Rope was the third one. And I don't know if you guys remember, you know, no, it was a <laughs> huge are, the deal. Are coming in. No, so you're not gonna allow you're not gonna allow well, no, rear window. No, you can talk about it, but it's a good it's a good try, but no. Yeah. Okay. There were movies that came out. We don't yeah. make the rules. Wait, we do make the rules. <laughs> Look, and I'm not going to go with something like Testament, which was just freaking depressing <laughs> as hell. Really beautifully. Is done. that the one about the bear? No, Testament's about oh, the nuclear prophecy. war. It's yeah. like in the oh, that's right. Prophecy after... is about the bear. Yeah. 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 Prophecy. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> um, you know. I, that's the thing. It's like I just I don't I don't love this year. Uh, I, I'm I'm so inclined to pick the hunger, but again, I picked the hunger before, and uh, you know. But uh, so you know, I'm going to pick something that we haven't picked on this on this <laughs> this this show before, and I think it's a movie that doesn't get the love that it deserves. It's not a perfect movie by any means. It was the last movie directed by Bob Fosse, and I'm talking about mm -hmm. the story of the late Dorothy Stratton, Star 80. Yeah. When the editor of Playboy told me I had one Playmate of the Year, the first thing out of my mouth was, are you sure? <laughs> I have this feeling about Dorothy. She's going to be a big star. Together, we could be somebody. People would treat us that special way, the way they treat stars. 36, 24, 36. Dorothy is every man's fantasy. Oh, Mr. Hefner, thank you. <laughs> Something else is going on here. I can feel it. Playboy is a very special magazine, Dorothy. They're going to give me $10,000 for having my picture taken. They're all nice to you. Everybody is wonderful. Mr. Hefner is wonderful. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't call me here. Go out and get yourself a job, get something going, and try to make her proud of you. You've grown, and he stayed the same. I think it's important that an actress and her director should have a good relationship. This is a little rough. Are you sure you want to hear it? We have some things we should talk about. About a divorce, is that what you mean? I want more freedom. She's gonna come back, I know it. He still had some crazy idea. He could put it all back together again. Please come back to me. I want it to be over. Shut up! Dorothy, you just can't let him do this to you. You can have her. But you're gonna have to pay. How do you load it? You put it in the chamber? She broke my heart. And you cock it, and she's ready to go. Uh, with Mariel Hemingway as uh, as um, uh, the late uh, Dorothy Stratton, and a just tour de force performance by Eric Roberts as uh, Paul Snyder, yeah. and um, 
uh, I remember Paul Peter Bogdanovich was going to sue them, so they made basically made the uh, director a a version that was nothing like Peter Bogdanovich, but at the same time was. Right. And uh, of course, it may be the only uh, movie to recreate a scene from Buck Rogers in the 25th century, so it gets extra points for that. Um, wow, I've never seen this movie. They actually did that in the in Star 80? That's amazing. It was amazing. a Buck Rogers aspect, of course, yeah. you know, that was one of her few film roles. Yeah, Besides yeah. Galaxina was her appearance as the, the genetically perfect, perfect woman, woman. <laughs> Miss Cosmos in uh, <laughs> I, um, I she think was. it was in Vegas in space. Or cruise ship, um, cruise ship to the Stars? Cruise ship to the Stars. Cruise ship to the Stars. <laughs> cruise ship to the Stars, that's right. Why do I Thank know Thank you, that? Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so uh, my, my pick uh, is going to be the uh, uh, the not particularly well-known, but I, I uh, this is when I went to a date on where we actually did have no trouble getting in. <laughs> so <laughs> there are plenty of seats for us. <laughs> uh, who oh, who is gotta, it? Who was it that played uh, Dorothy Stratton? It was, was Mariel Hemingway. Hemingway? Yeah. Hemingway. And the horrible yeah. thing about that is, and I remember this, uh, she got implants for the role because, oh. and, and, and you know, obviously years later, it was problematic and then she oh. got rid of them. But it's like no actor should ever have to do that. It's one thing for Robert De Niro to put on 50 pounds, 60 pounds for Raging Bull. But, uh, you know, to, to, to get uh, breast get surgery. Play yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nicholson I love, do that uh, for Hoffa. I don't mean his breasts. I mean like his face. <laughs> yeah. He had yeah, jowls. He got cheekbones. But uh, I obviously I've always loved Mariel Hemingway, not because of her role in Superman four, but of course her brilliant role in Manhattan, 1979's classic Woody Allen movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. 83, just hearing everybody's picks. Um, you know, there's there's still a lot of films we talk about. We'll talk about those in a second. But um, you know, I don't I don't think if we went you know by the years, this is necessarily a year where we'd be like, oh my god, this is just. I mean, with the exception of maybe the right stuff, that these are just classic movies. You know, these are you know great. I mean, even Scarface, which I love, is certainly not my favorite um, De Palma movie, and it's certainly. Not a great movie. I love it. I love it, but it's not a great movie. So let's there's, talk about there's, there's a lot of sort of low key, interesting movies this year, but there's not a lot of particularly memorable yeah. movies. And a lot of troubled movies, Darren. Can you tell us about uh, Doug Trumbull's Brainstorm? Well, of course, uh, Doug Trumbull, who had uh, previously uh, done Silent Running and, of course, uh, did uh, a lot of visual effects work on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, and uh, uh, he, uh, this was his uh, second directing assignment, and uh, it was a uh, a, a very uh, troubled production. Not only because uh, their lead actress uh, died, Natalie Wood, uh, right before they were done shooting, uh, and uh, the studio basically were going to. Uh, Shitcan the whole thing and take the uh, uh, you know take the money. Um, it uh, it was uh, even when it didn't have these problems. It's an uneven movie. Uh, mm. It uh, is a story about the uh, development and invention of a device that can transfer experiences. It can record them to multi-track uh, magical uh, glitter tape and uh, play it back to a uh, a headpiece and people can experience other people's 
uh, sight, sound, memories. Um, and uh, it's it's really a great science fiction uh, idea. Uh, and uh, the thing is, uh, Christopher Walken, who is the star, is so freaking weird in it. That How weird is he? He's really is really distracting. Uh, if you ask me, uh, <laughs> is the is the new headpiece ready yet? I, uh, that's chocolate. I'm tasting chocolate. Um, it, it's it's very <laughs> odd. I smell bread. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm I'm acting like a monkey. Uh, <laughs> he is he is so strange and you never once believed that he and Natalie Wood were an item ever. Although uh, they were in real yes, life. They were. Well, that's debatable whether or not they were an item uh, or whether or not uh, uh, other people were an item. Mm. Let's just say. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go down that road, but uh, look, it's a, it's a fascinating movie. The casting is a little uneven. The bad guy is very odd and not very memorable, except for his, uh, you know, blazing white hair. Um, and the conclusion of the film had to be sort of cobbled together uh, from scenes that were already shot. And uh, it was uh, it was a frustrating thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, about a year after they finished shooting, the studio finally decided, OK, we're going to release it. And uh, we'll just put it out there, and it it bombed. Um, and was it the unique thing about it that this those scenes in reality were like one eight five, and well, then it when it went to originally, brainstorm originally the brainstorm footage, the footage that you see of the playback of people's memories, was supposed to be in show scan. The uh. that uh, Doug Tremble developed, but of course the same problem as usual. Uh, the theaters would not pay the money to install these show scan projectors. Right. So it, it couldn't be shown anywhere like that. Uh, and uh, while it was a, a brilliant idea and would have been amazing to see this process, uh, it, uh, it just didn't hit. And uh, I, go ahead. I, I always dug that movie, man. And I mean, obviously it's got all there's, kinds of problems. There's certain and scenes that are absolutely amazing and magical yep. and, and uh, emotional. And it's hard to take your eyes off of Natalie Wood. Although I think that the basic idea, the person who really picked up that science fiction idea, Ramathit, turned in a great movie that has just disappeared, um, is Catherine Bigelow making Strange mm -hmm. Days. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but uh, no, I, I I was always fascinated by that movie as a kid. Like just, it was just one of those things where the 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 trailer would come on TV and I thought, wow, that looks really interesting. To me, like the big idea of it, like yeah. got to me. And and I admire an, it. Again, an amazing score by James Horner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw it at the Ziegfeld, which I mean, if it if it didn't work there, it wasn't going to work anywhere. That was like the best theater in New York uh, yeah. um, and in the country at the time. Uh, Steve, I got a question for you. If <laughs> if if that Christopher Walken movie doesn't make our Friday count, maybe it does. There is a movie I think that's a much more uh, much, uh, much stronger candidate for Friday, which is, of course, uh, The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. What do you think of... Uh, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you think of, of that as a candidate for Friday? Uh, I think perhaps Mr. Miller is better equipped to talk about this movie because <laughs> I've seen it. I'm not a particular fan of it, and I, I 
I, I don't know if I've seen it more than once uh, okay. since then. Forget I asked you. I'm going to race <laughs> you. We go back in time. We're going to go back in time. Uh, hey, Ash Miller, a much better candidate for Friday that's also a Christopher Walker film is The Dead Zone. Can you speak to that for us? It's not just also a Christopher Walken film. It's the second David Cronenberg film uh, of of that year, the other one being Videodrome that Mark thought I was going to pick, and I might have um, if The Keep wasn't on the list. Uh, the Dead Zone is basically like the most screwed up episode of The West Wing you've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it uh, inspired, the book inspired a, a television show um, with the uh, kid from 16 Candles. Uh, that was that was okay. But basically, the, the premise is Christopher Walken plays a guy who, when he touches you, he can see the future. And he uh, is he goes to a political rally with Mark Sheen, you know, who's running for president, and he shakes hands with him. When he shakes hands with him, he sees the future. And the future that he sees is a nuclear apocalypse. And he sets off to uh, to try to prevent this from from happening. And it's um it's a it's a super interesting movie. It's it's a different sort of a David Cronenberg film. Every so often, Cronenberg will play around with like you know doing a thriller uh, as opposed to doing body horror. And look, there's definitely you know there are horror elements to this to this film, um, but not in the same way that uh, there are horror elements to uh, to video drama. A drone. I would I would liken it most uh, in his oeuvre to uh, to something like uh, History of Violence or Eastern Promises, um, except a little more genre heavy, um, where he is basically telling a, a very straight ahead story um, that in this case just happens to have this, uh, this, this one, um, supernatural element, but it's, it's really well done. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Cronenberg, but it's really well done. It's incredibly well executed. Is it your favorite Stephen King adaptation? Uh, wow. What is my favorite? Wow. Stephen King adaptations. What's my favorite? Maximum Overdrive. Kidding. <laughs> this machine <laughs> called me an asshole. Shawshank. <laughs> you know, that inspired the, uh, the Cars movies. Um, <laughs> Steve, I got to ask you, uh, this is a really esoteric movie that I remember fondly from 83, but I don't think a lot of people saw Michael Lachlan's Strange Invaders with Paul Lamatt. Oh, God. Strange Invaders. Yeah, I, I remember seeing this movie in the theater and uh, and and quickly forgetting it. <laughs> alien, alien, it, it, it's, it's an homage to 50 sci-fi movies. But we talked about yeah. our hundred greatest sci-fi movies of all time on the um, on the Trexperts. So I'm, I'm gonna skip over that. I'm gonna give you another shot because I have a thought because I have a few problems. Movie, of course, is Bill Forsythe's Local Hero. With Local Lankin. Hero. I've never seen Local Hero. You've never seen what a charming. No. That's such a Steve Melchin kind of movie. I well, I've added it's to my charming. list. Charming. <laughs> it takes place in Scotland. It's 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 very sweet. Um, and it, the, the little guy fighting the fighting fighting the man. It's so <laughs> Steve Melching. I'm surprised. You should check it out. You, I will. Be, uh, you'll check it out. Uh, so I'm going to ask Darren then, because. Uh, you know, Steve apparently didn't see as many movies during 1983. As oh, I, I got plenty of movies that I've seen. Oh, you yeah. just haven't. You just haven't. Uh, well, I gotta ask. I gotta ask. Uh, I gotta ask uh, um, Darren first if he's <laughs> driving down the Holiday Road. <laughs> I love National Lampoon's Vacation. Absolutely. Um, 
way better than Christmas Vacation. I don't care uh, all you fans I of agree. Christmas Vacation out there. It's not even close. close. We've got to keep up for five, maybe six months. is the only good the legs the franchise. <laughs> but, but there is a whole cadre of people who absolutely love Christmas Vacation. Well, they're wrong. I'm, I'm just here to say that they're wrong. And yeah. uh, look, uh, it's, uh, you know, based on... Uh, 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 the short story by uh, our favorite uh, team director, uh, John Hughes. John Hughes, I, not John Cameron. Huggies. John Huggies, um, who uh, wrote the short story for the National Lampoon magazine. Uh, I think it was uh, Vacation Fifty Three. Was that it? I think something it was. like that. Oh, Vacation Fifty Five, because it, it had to do with Disneyland, and Disneyland opened in Fifty Five. Um, Anyway, uh, it's so funny. It is so weird. It is, you know, it is funny despite of uh, uh, Chevy Chase. Um, he is uh, he is perfectly cast in this as a uh, as a, a goof. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it's so there are uh, bits of reality in it that are horrific, and uh, it is so funny. To have all these sort of strange and uh, and uh, cartoony characters seem so very real in them, mm. uh, I think that's one of the strange. Uh, uh, you know, Harold Ramis directed this, and uh, he had a uh, an ability to sort of make this uh, hyper hyper real situation, and uh, just uh, having the uh, the family go in the family truckster. Uh, with the uh, uh, metallic P uh, uh, paint job, um, it's Rest, uh, rusty. Do not eat the family truckster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's so it's so good. Uh, you know they're traveling from Chicago to uh, ostensibly L.A. Uh, and Wally World, <laughs> Wally World, Dad, Wally World. Um, and there's so many surprises along the way. They visit the cousins. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Obviously, the strange offshoot of the family who are uh, uh, nearly destitute and uh, living their own lives that are uh, kind of uh, detestable. Um, but it's Ran Randy Quaid, of course. Is Randy the Quaid, who is uh, uh, brilliant because he's not acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just playing Randy Quaid. It's, uh, you know, and Miriam Flynn, who, who plays uh, his wife, uh, absolutely, uh, totally real portrayals. This is not comedy. This is reality. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Dane Krakowski, who is the uh, daughter, who uh, apparently French kisses better than anybody, according to her <laughs> dad. Um, <laughs> uh, and they, uh, you know, the, the great Imogene Coca, who is uh, Aunt Edna, uh, who... Uh, uh, I'm not going to spoil things if you haven't seen it. She goes along a, a leg of the trip with them, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't end well. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's I, so it's so funny. Uh, it, it's uh, it, you know, Christy Brinkley is uh, is luminous, uh, and it's uh, it's such a it's such an unexpectedly funny movie. Well, as as was Beverly D'Angelo. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's Human is an unexpectedly fun. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, so Ashley, I got to ask you, 
you know, in 82, Star Trek 2 was a great sequel, right? I joked yeah. earlier that your pick for Wednesday would be Superman 3. What was with these botched sequels? Superman 3, Jaws 3D, Psycho 2, Star 80. Oh, no, that wasn't a sequel. <laughs> yeah, the Star 79. Uh, Amityville 3D. I mean, so many so many sequels, um, but none of them, you know, really uh, loom large in the annals of classic movies. What, 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 went, wrong, what went wrong? I mean... First of all, you're you're talking about a, a a film world where sequels themselves were kind of a new thing. Um, they they weren't necessarily done uh, all of the time. Um, and the fact that uh, I mean, you had stuff like you know the Planet of the Apes films. You know, you had the Dirty Harry films. There were a couple of outliers, um, but it wasn't you know a situation where literally every um, successful film kicked off uh, a series of sequels. And what happened in the 70s, you had, okay, so Jaws, Superman. Frankly, even the Amityville Horror was a huge hit. And these movies, this idea of crafting a, a blockbuster franchise became the gleam in Hollywood's eye. But the, the problem was, I think, that some of these things did not want to sustain films um, that went beyond the boundaries of uh, of. Of, of what had been originally created in the in the film franchise, and some of them, um, you know, more or less successfully uh, came up with sequels that that worked. Um, but for the most part, and it's funny because Superman three should have been one of those sequels that worked, right? Superman should be evergreen. It's you know, what's the what's the villain? What's the problem? You know, what are we? But I think that in the in the case of Superman three, what really went wrong was Christopher Reeve. It was it was uh, it was a really great example of what happens when you let actors have too much power. It's just it wasn't a film. Um, it was Christopher Reeve like you're making a statement. Superman four. You're oh shit! Superman Am I? Four. Damn yeah. it! You're right. So you know, forget everything. We're going to activate that time machine again. We're going to go back and we're going to pretend that I'm not talking about Superman four. And instead, well, we're going to talk I about. But I do think that he did have a lot. You know, the whole idea right. that it would be a movie about Clark Kent and not about Superman. Right. And that he would right. play both characters. He would play the evil Superman. The evil Superman. So yeah. I do think part well, that of that is one of the best parts of the movie. Yes. When he's smoking and just kind of hanging out. And he's when, when he's uh, flicking. But it's, like, but it's not a film. It's like, it's a short yeah. film. It's a yeah. sketch. It's an yeah. SNL sketch. Yeah, exactly. And also they trusted what's his name. Um, it wasn't uh, Richard. I mean, uh, Richard Lester. Uh, Richard Lester, as opposed to Richard Marquand, who directed the other terrible well, let, let's ask, we're going to get to that. We're going to ask Steve about that. <laughs> Does that film uh, belong on Friday, Return of the Jedi, the third Star Wars uh, sequel? Well, I mean, it, it was by far, in a way, the biggest hit by, you know, almost an order of magnitude of that year. Uh, you know, it made over $300 million. And the number two film, Terms of Endearment, was about a third of that. Um, hugely successful financially, creatively. I mean, I liked it at the time because I was 15 years old and I was a Star Wars fanatic and, and was desperate to see it. But it's it's not a film that for me has aged particularly well. There, there are things about it that I do like, um, but uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about it. It feels like um, there are a lot of compromises made to make it. It, it feels like uh, George Lucas at that point in his career was just kind of bored and tired and was just finishing the trilogy out of a sense of obligation. And, um, you know, I, I think the, um, the original storyline for that movie was supposed to be about 
you know, Boba Fett and the rescue of Han Solo and the whole thing with Darth Vader and the Emperor was going to be the basis for the next trilogy. Um, but they ended up collapsing that storyline down into Return of the Jedi so that George could finish this trio of movies and move on. And budgetarily, it just, it, it just looks cheap compared to, especially Empire Strikes Back. Um, it, it feels derivative. The, you know, Mark Hamill is game and does his, does the best job. I think he could. And um, Ian McDiarmid is great as the emperor. Um, but a lot of the other acting just feels kind of flat and perfunctory. <laughs> I mean, Darren, it's fun. I enjoy that? watching it, but could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? <laughs> uh, Harrison Ford clearly didn't really want to be there. Yeah, but apparently no one did. So, look, I I like it more than Steve does. Um, I don't I don't mind that it's a rehash because it's a well done rehash. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Ewoks actually don't bother me because it's an interesting idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit a uh, little bit of a. a Toy advertisement, unfortunately. Uh, and I think that's what uh, Lucas really wanted out of it. I, I like it a little less than Steve did. Um, for, the, <laughs> for the longest time, I would go around, like, you know, I'm talking about into the 90s, um, saying things like, I wonder when they're finally going to release a sequel to The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt about it. But uh, look, I, since, we're, since we were talking about, like, when we normally talk about Fridays, we talk about what's the film that best encapsulates what 1983 is. And I've been thinking about this a lot, Mark. And uh, what you said was 1983 was about, um, you know, great ambition, not quite uh, reaching the mark, no matter how talented the people are who are, um, who are behind it. For my money, the movie that best, uh, that best expresses that idea is Twilight Zone. I was just going to ask you about that. You beat me to it. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, look, I, I I actually really enjoy Twilight Zone, the movie. I, I think that there are things about it um, that are effective. Again, I saw it when I was, first saw it when I was, what, 12, 13 years old. Um, but I, I think that it, um, it suffers from a lot of things. I think, um, number one, it suffers from directorial indulgence um number two i i i don't know that um what it says about the movie that the, my favorite part uh is is just the wraparound with dan Aykroyd and hey you want to see something really scary mm -hmm. um you know some of the stuff is is good like but it's but the episodes that um get remade in the context of the film i admire the ambition of what they were attempting uh, with those stories. Um, and I admire, like, I believe that the, um, that the, uh, the, the episode within the film, it was an anthology, uh, that, uh, that resulted in that terrible, terrible tragedy was an original, but I admired the fact that it like actually was kind of a sequel to Animal House. That is the strangest <laughs> well, you know, uh, damn so, thing. Ashley, here's the thing. I mean, you talked about, um, the keep being, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a shadow of what, you know, just take, taken apart by the studio. You know, we talked about Brainstorm movie that suffered, you know, obviously as a result of Natalie Wood dying and was piecemealed together. This is another example where if the tragedy of Vic Morrow and those two children's death yeah. in the John Landis segment, um, you know, had to be piecemealed together after, you know, they died tragically on the set. 
Um, so it's another movie that we don't really ever will never really know right. what it would have been had those things not happened. And of course, like you said, that in a way was the most ambitious. The idea of a racist who is uh, finds himself in Nazi Germany as a Jew, right? If I yep. recall correctly. Um, but what you said, you know, about the movie is, yeah, I love the wraparounds, which are fun with an uncredited Albert Brooks and Bill Murray, I think. No, um, Dan, Aykroyd. Dan, Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd and Bill, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Albert, and Brooks. Albert Brooks. But, but um, the problem is, it's a good life. The Spielberg sequence is not particularly good. No, kind of a bad life. This is kick the can. Kick the can. Kick the can is not yeah. particularly good. Joe Dante's It's Joe a Good Dante's Life is great, great, but so is the original episode. And yeah. as great as George Miller's Nightmare 20,000 Feet is, it's not as good as the Shatner one. Yeah. Because it's Shatner versus Joe <laughs> Lefkow. That's and, the problem. Uh, <laughs> At its best, it's mediocre. Well said. All of the all of the sections, and I guarantee that had nothing gone wrong with the uh, Landis's section, that would have been mediocre too. Uh, that's just the sad part. On paper, on paper, look at like you know the 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 talent that was behind that film, um, and the thing that they were trying to accomplish. Believe me, I'm like I, I'm not arguing that it's the best movie of 1983, or even my favorite movie of 1983. But to me, it is the most 1983 of the movies that were released in 1983. <laughs> well, let me do it. Let me. I can do a quick lightning round and just throw no, out some, some titles. Go so go ahead. Hit us um, up. Here's some of the, shot. some of the other top grossing movies that year were Flashdance, Trading Places, War Games, uh, Sudden Impact, another sequel, uh, the Dirty Harry film, uh, and Mr. Mom. Uh, we also had movies like Blue Thunder. What brings you to air support? Kind of like the idea of it. No guns, no kicking in doors, you know, just quiet. Oh, yeah. For Frank Murphy, policing the air has its ups. Hustle to air support. And downs. You got a runaway. I just wanted to say, sir, that that was my fault. I talked Murphy into taking us there. You're supposed to be stupid, son. Don't abuse the privilege. Roy Scheider is Frank Murphy, a lone wolf. Freeze! Bozo, how many regulars come in the front door with a key? Who's about to become a guinea pig. I thought it was illegal to arm police helicopters. Well, that would depend on the circumstances, wouldn't it? Columbia Pictures presents Blue Thunder. Flying arsenal that hears through walls, sees in the dark, and thinks your thoughts. Wherever you look, the guns follow. It was designed for war-torn countries. One civilian dead for every ten terrorists. That's an acceptable ratio, unless you're one of the civilians. It was assigned to American cities. You're talking about crowd control from the air? That's what this special detail is all about. They told Murphy to test it. They didn't tell him what it was for. Dozen of these coppers and you could run the whole damn country. Who was behind it? Where are we? Federal building. Really? Hey, you want to find out what's going on in there? We certainly do. Hey, you gotta do me a favor. I want you to pick up a package for me. Why they chose him. Uh, he's totally unsuitable for our purpose. Don't stop for anything or anybody. For why they changed their minds. Turn the face of a girl, I never saw 
saw this guy before in my life. Come on, let's go. Well, not so fast. That's government's property. Give me that. But when Murphy went looking for answers... You got all this on tape? I got every word of it. If it gets back to me, I'll deny it. The answer... Uh-oh, uh-oh. ...came looking for him. plan but Murphy stole their thunder we Catch had later, uh, Steve. we had two other uh, Stephen King adaptations in Christine and Cujo uh, we had a Christmas which worse, story Steve? which was worse Christine Cujo. Cujo. I kind of like Christine. Uh, we have a Christmas story, uh, a modern classic. Uh, we had Educating Rita with Michael Caine. Uh, we had Crawl, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, the Man with Two the Brains. Uh, the Steve Martin. We had uh, David Bowie and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. It's an okay. interesting movie. We had a Monty Python film, uh, The Meaning of Life. Okay. We had uh, Never Cry Wolf, uh, which I uh, quite like. Uh, uh, we had the Essie Hinton one-two punch of The Outsiders and Rumblefish. Yeah. We had an interesting animated movie that I was always fond of called Rock and Rule uh, by Nelvana. It's this weird fantasy animated movie. We had Something Is Wicked. Is in that too? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> same studio. Uh, we had uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh, we had mm. Bob and Doug McKenzie in Strange Brew. Mm. Uh, we had uh, Valley Girl. Uh, and we had Silkwood. Uh, and we had, of course, The Big Chill, uh, Tender Mercies. Oh, shoot! That's my pick! I take it back! How did <laughs> I not pick The Big Chill? <laughs> I totally forgot about The Big Chill. I, I, can I, is it you too late why? to substitute? Because it's totally forgettable. No, I love oh, The Big God. Chill. Totally the Big Chill is one of my favorite movies of all time. No, well, absolutely not forgettable. Or can that be Friday? Are you going to activate your Mega 13? <laughs> I, no, I, I, I mean, look, I love Star 80, but I mean, The Big Chill is, is uh, I love it. But Lawrence Kasdan, it's one of my favorite movies of his, and it's so powerful. And 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 it's it's just what a great cast and, and wildly entertaining and, and such amazing music, um, the, all the I, Motown music. I, I love watching whiny yuppies. I really, <laughs> you know what? You're, because you're just a bitter old guy. Yeah, that's right. And I was back then too. Yeah, um, you, you haven't changed a bit. You're just twice, as warm and sociable as ever. Twice, twice we've skipped over uh, War Games, which I think is the most 1983 of all the movies. Yes, yet. I would agree with that. America's front line of defense is this computer. It is totally secure, or is it? You're really into computers, huh? Yeah. What are you doing? Dialing into the school's computer. Are those your grades? Yep. I don't think that I deserved it. Do you? You can't do that. Already done. <laughs> you can go to jail for that. Only if you're over 18. This computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months. I want to play those games. Wow. What? We got something. 
Games refers to models, simulations, and games which have tactical and strategic them. application. Greetings. Game time is near. Shall we play a game? Love to. Let's play. Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. All right. We have a launch detection. We have a Soviet launch. What the hell? Missile warning. No malfunction. Oh, my God. I repeat, confidence is high. The president, this is very Is this a game or is it real? What's the difference? War Games. Begin playing June 3rd at a theater near you. I don't love it, but it's the most 1983. It's John Badham. It's yeah. sort of a mediocre director who was making everything back then, and they were all yeah. hits. So I actually have a War Games story. Yes. So uh, I, God help me, um, I spent solidly three years of my career uh, working with uh, with Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald. Yeah. By the way, they were always very uh, kind to me, and it was it was a you know you don't stick around hanging out with people for three years because they're they're anything but that unless you're a total uh, masochist. But um, you know the the running joke with Walter was always like, and did you know that I wrote War Games? <laughs> um, and uh, you know it's it's and look that wasn't like the movie that we always talked about uh, with him. But um, the interesting thing about War Games was this: so I went in. Uh, to MGM, and uh, I was getting ready for a, it was for a pitch, and we were hanging out with the executive because we were waiting on people to arrive, and so we started talking about our experience with with Walter, and the executive asked, you know, what you know what the experience was like, um, and uh, started talking about war games, and like has he has he talked about war games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, well, you know, um, the original concept for war games wasn't what war games turned out to be. The original concept for war games was basically real genius, but Walter ran off and uh, disappeared. He had a writing partner at the time, uh, and uh, well, he didn't write it with Laurie. No, no, no. no. He, Laurie was just his producing him. partner. She wasn't a writer, and um, he ran off. He, he, they, they wrote, they worked, they kept calling and saying, oh, "It's almost done. It's almost done. There's right. some changes. It's almost done." They turn in this script that bore no resemblance yeah. whatsoever. Completely different than what they pitched. <laughs> exactly. And luckily for them, everybody loved that script. Yeah. <laughs> but it like it it could have ended his career before it began. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, all credit to uh, to Walter. I think that's actually a terrific script. Um, no, I got an idea. Yeah. Friday should be a John Badham double feature. Oh, War God. Games at Blue Thunder. That <laughs> captures 1983 better than any. John Badham was like the hot director for like for some unknown reason because he was like a TV director. You know, his movies look like TV. And uh, and yet everything he did was like these huge hits. And uh, War Game was so in the zeitgeist that year. It didn't even know how in the zeitgeist it was. I mean, because it was like a John Hughes movie meets Stranger Things. Before either of these things were really a thing, and uh, and then and then Blue Thunder is just this ridiculous movie that also with Ray, you know Roy Scheider and uh, Malcolm McDowell about you know the super high tech helicopter. The year after Firefox, you had Blue Thunder, just and a, it birthed know. the TV show. Yeah, well, oh. and it birthed the two TV shows: Blue Thunder and Airwolf. That's or true. The uh, the eighties, 
The 80s was a decade of excess, so maybe a double feature uh, is appropriate. Well, especially that year. And it's just a decade like, of excess and Dabney Coleman. And it yeah. <laughs> Dabney you know, Coleman. You, you could also argue that sudden impact kind of encapsulated the 80s because like that like Ronald Reagan was quoting from that movie all yeah, the time. Make my day. Make yeah. my day. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny because that movie's pretty good. Christmas story. Like for the beginning, and then it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Busy cast Sandra Locke, his girlfriend in it, and she's not great. <laughs> and uh but yeah, that that he movie plays is crazy so well, but it's always the same crazy. <laughs> it's so zeitgeisty though, Sudden Impact. Yeah. Sudden Impact, you know, this is the year Reagan inv inv invaded Grenada. You know, make my day was like, you know, he adopted I was there when the shit movie. hit the fan in Grenada. <laughs> and it was so his, you know, his movie. Yeah, because he used that make my day and it's like People went crazy. I mean, and that was, everyone was quoting that. That was a huge, I mean, even so more than Do You Feel Lucky Punk in the 70s, Make My Day was like this. I think that's that's the signature quote for Dirty Harry that most people remember. Make ahead, My Day. Make My Day. Yep, yeah. it is. Yeah, because the I whole mean, thing. Even yeah. though my favorite is like when he opens up the, uh, the fortune cookie and he's like, it says you're shit out of luck. I love that. Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so do, do we have a week? What, what do you What's think, Darren? What's your pick here? I'm, I, I'm, I want to go with War Games, but I'm fine with the double feature, too. Okay, what about you, Ashley? What do you think? Um, Sun Impact or War Games, Black, Blue Thunder, double feature? Good God. Uh, I'm going to go with the double feature. Steve? Yeah, I can go with double feature. Okay, I can go with double feature, too. I so think, let it uh, be written, so let it be done. The uh, the John Badham double feature. Yeah. Um, you know, John, not Adam, but they, uh, <laughs> they both have uh, mediocre scores by Arthur Rubenstein. <laughs> those, those those '80s electronica synth scores that are so dated. Um, I like war. Games. The great ones are great. Yeah, like except for oh, the I like war games too. Yeah, it's like, but you know Coyote what the thing is, it's saved ET. He saved us as Professor Falcon. Yeah, wasn't that wasn't that Peter Coyote? No. Yes, it wasn't. The actor that played Professor Falcon was not Peter Coyote. No, no it was, it was David. Coyote? No, it wasn't. It wasn't David Strait. No, it was uh, John, John Wood. Thank you. Oh, okay. Wow. John Burke. So was Peter Coyote even in War Games? No. Oh, never mind. <laughs> okay. That's the Mandela I, effect. It was, uh, <laughs> it was Matthew Broderick and, and Ali Sheedy, though. They were in it. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're, you're thinking James Tolkien, who uh, played the principal uh, uh, in Back to the Future. Yeah, and also was the uh, the commander in Top Gun. That's correct. The yes. Yeah, yeah. He was in a lot of things back then. We <laughs> should do a, a week of actors who were in a lot of things back then. These character actors <laughs> oh, who were like in every great. movie. Actor you know who was in every movie? Tracy yeah. Walter. Remember Tracy Walter? Yeah. Yep. Repo Man and Conan and Destroyer. He was like an actor. Uh, my movie. name is Larry. This mother, brother, Larry. Wait. It's, it's <laughs> hey, hey, that's what's their name week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that guy in that it's, movie. It's, it's that guy week. <laughs> Yeah, that, that guy, guy week. week. I like that. That's <laughs> funny. But it could be a that gal too. That's yeah. correct. You know, so anyway, we got a week. Yeah, we do. Oh, but we didn't even talk about staying alive. <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't. We was staying that's alive right. was that a sequel? That wasn't a sequel. Yeah. Was it was a sequel to Saturday Night Fever. It was the sequel Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, yeah I missed down. that when I did my wrap up of sequels. I forgot yeah. to mention staying alive. And you can tell by the way I use my. <laughs> okay, how many of you can sing the your theme to get us sing us out of here? Your, your, you got a recap. For the yours world, I know, but yours world is your... No, you don't know it? No. 
Anyway, what a great week. How great to be back on the 430 movie. If I'll be it only for this one week. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. That's well, how it we'll goes. be back for more weeks. Well, Soon. let's recap uh, our picks for this week. Uh, on Monday, Steve, what are we watching? Monday, it's Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis in Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. Tuesday, Darren Docterman. The right stuff. They all had the right stuff. <laughs> These guys had the right stuff. Their stuff is so right. <laughs> on Wednesday. On Wednesday night, they will all face the evil. And Michael Mann's The Keep. On Thursday, they all wanted to be a star, but it just turned out they had to chill out. My pick, replacing Star 80, <laughs> the big chill. <laughs> nice. I can't believe I, I not even close. <laughs> Love the big chill. And a great Criterion Blu-ray as well. And it's on 4K on Apple TV for those who are interested in watching it. And, and we didn't even talk about Lone Wolf McQuaid. And oh, Dennis wow. Quaid in perhaps his best role. Dennis and Quaid. what is our pick for Friday? Yeah. Dennis, Quaid. Dennis Quaid plays the dead guy in the video. No, that's Kevin Costner. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> same thing. How is it the same thing? Anyway, we are so glad to be back with you. We're going to be back later this year with an all-new season on the 430 movie. So follow us on social to find out when we'll be back. Or you can just subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you can subscribe to the 430 movie and get bonus episodes of deck 78 while you're waiting for the 430 movie to come back by subscribing at apple Podcasts. but until then on behalf of steven melching darren document ashley miller myself mark a altman that's been so long i don't know what we say eyewitness what? news oh yes that's right uh save us the i'll see and until then, <laughs> Eyewitness News starts now. We'll see you later this year on the 430 movie.